0: Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of LifeHouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So we started last, last week a series called A Beautiful Mess looking looking at how, first off, that is one of my favorite phrases, a beautiful mess. Cause honestly, I believe it encapsulates so much of what life is. It's a beautiful mess. What I said last what I said last week was life is a beautiful mess, right? I had this beautiful family picture done, but any of you that have kids anywhere from one to like ten know the absolute hell it is to try to get kids to stare at the camera for more than three seconds. And so, right, we had a beautiful family family picture that we throw on Facebook and throw on Instagram, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's so cute! Your family's awesome!" I'm like, "You don't know what kind of hell it went, we went through to get this picture taken, right? It was a beautiful picture, but it was a mess getting the picture done, right? Life is a beautiful mess, but also, do you are a beautiful mess. There are beautiful things about you, and there are, mm, and there are messy things about you. We are all a combination of beautifulness." and messiness. We also saw last week how God works in beautiful, messy ways. I referenced that one particular miracle Jesus did where, where, where this guy came up to him blind and said, God, and, and said Jesus, heal, heal me. Instead of Jesus just putting his hand on him and praying for him, Jesus spit in the dirt made some salve and put it, on, put it on the guy's eyes, rubbed like rubbing dirt into his eyes and said, go and wash up. And the guy went, washed up, and he came back healed. Many times the way we see God working is in beautiful, messy ways. But then we also said, if life is a beautiful mess, you are a beautiful mess. The way that God works is a beautiful mess. Why are we surprised then when God's church is a beautiful mess? Think about it. There are things about the church, not just this church, but but the church in general that are beautiful and things about it that are just messy. And some of you have experienced a lot of the messiness in the church. Some of you have experienced its, its beauty. But some of you are shocked by the church's messiness. And I just wanna say you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be shocked that you've got imperfect people serving a perfect God and God's church is made up of beautifully messy people that serve a beautiful God. Right, so, so look, we should not be surprised. But the point of, of this whole series is this. I want you to get a vision for what the church is and how God ultimately sees the church. And today we're gonna dive, dive, dive in and we're gonna talk about what kind of relationship does Jesus want to have with his church? Not just a church, life house, but the Church, capital C. What kind of relationship is that? Because honestly, if you were to think about it this way, where if Jesus was in, like, let's just say, uh, just, uh, let's just say you were Jesus. Okay. Try to put yourself as being Jesus, okay? And let's say the church was your wife. So think, think about the church in general, whatever your view of the church is. Like think about the church throughout history, the crazy stuff it's done, the crusades. I mean, you know, it's like all, all of these things, that, but like, think about if, if your partner was as crazy as the church was, and as fickle as the church was, and as up and down as the church was. Like, What would be your response? Because like, here's the thing, right? I know this, I know how some of, of y'all get, like how y'all think about your spouses. When, when they're even a tad bit fickle. you like, you crazy, get away from me. Like, I don't want to be with you. Like, you know, you know I got to find some, somebody else, right? So honestly, whenever we think about how does Jesus feel, the tra- It's like, why hasn't Jesus given up on it yet? Like, why hasn't Jesus just said, y'all crazy? Like, y'all don't want to listen to me? Y'all don't want to follow me? Like, we done, but what we see is is that Jesus hasn't given up on the church. Yeah. That he is committed to the church. And really I just thought that got like, Jesus, why why do you why why do you keep your commitment? Like why do you see it through whenever the church is in a dumpy season? Why do you see it through the tough times? And really honestly what I see in scripture is that God has always chosen to show and reveal and work through a group of people to show the world who he is and what he's like. He's always done done that. You can see the Old Testament, all right? You would, you know, some of you here, you would consider the boring part of the Bible. You got, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You're reading this stuff. All these prophets, minor, major. You got, you know, all the, you know, and 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 it's like, why is the Old Testament even even there? The Old Testament is a written account. Of what it was like for God to try to form and shape a people, Israel, a country, to show the world who God is and what God's like. It is their journey, it's their story. Like of the other thing, and, and really what you see, it was a cycle. How many of you know relationships are kind of like are always like cycles, are kind of always like cycles, right? Here's the thing, right? Israel, they would follow God. God, we love you. You're amazing. Oh, you're, you're God. We don't want any of them foreign gods. We don't know. And, and, and then they got haughty and puffed up and built up and said, oh, all of this blessing we have, it's because we did it. And they would start to bring in false gods and start to bring in other stuff. And they'd be like, yo, God, you know, thank you for the, you know, this, but but you know what? We we, you know, we're good. And then after that, God would have to discipline them. And be like, yo, you're not the one in charge. You know, you got all this stuff because, uh, because of my blessing, not the work of your hands. And, and so it was this, this cycle where God would discipline them, bring them back, and then bring them back into relationship. And that is literally the Old Testament, where God in the Old Testament was trying to build and shape a people to show himself through and what we see whenever jesus came he said that he came with a brand new covenant meaning he was going to instead of working through a country he was going to work through a people and call it and name it the church which is called in scripture his body his body meaning you want to know how people are going to know who jesus is it's going to be, the, the church is the physical expression and the physical representation of a person and God that cannot be seen. The, the, here's the thing, the church is supposed to be the hands and feet, the body of Christ, and we are to share and show God's, God, God's love, and, God said, and Jesus said, through the church, I'm gonna let the world know who I am. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 tells us, tells us this. This is, is Peter, and, and Peter, everyone knows Peter, right? He, he was one of the, the, uh, the apostles of Christ, and, and, and one of the things he writes here is, is two uh, churches spread out all throughout a particular region. He tells them this, but, but you, and what he's saying is, Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what Peter is trying to get them to actually see here is like, look, look, y'all are the way the people are gonna see that this Jesus God thing is even real. How many people have turned their backs on, on Jesus because of the church? Because how messed up, jacked up, like how the church acts selfishly, it acts for its own own interest. Instead of it saying, we need to take on the fact that we are the representation of how people will know this Jesus thing is even real. He says, you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. For the purpose that you may declare the praises, declare the good works of him who called you out of sin, death, and hell into his wonderful light. That we are the ones that God has equipped. Here's the thing. As the corporate church, we are God's chosen vessel to show himself through. Does this make you yawn or does it make you marvel? I think sometimes we forget this incredible privilege and responsibility we have as the corporate church that we are God's chosen vessel. He says we're his special possession, God's chosen vessel to show himself through. Does this make you yawn or does it make you marvel? And I would believe, honestly, many people like yawn over what the church's purpose is. And they view it as just a product to consume. Well, I go to church. I go to church. Uh, I just left the church. Tr- yeah, church, you know, church, church, church. And we talk about Jesus's bride like it was some past girlfriend. And we take Jesus' special possession and we treat it with, with contempt and we just yawn over it. Ephesians 3, this is what Paul says. He says, his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the world. Basically what he's saying here is, is that God is gonna take the 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 church, and through the church, it's, it's gonna be God's wisdom to the world. Do you think the church is God's wisdom to the world right now? That, that through his intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. I, I just think that, and I'm mean, asking, one of the things that I love about our, about our church here is that we are a church, from what I've seen, we're not perfect, we've got our flaws, we've got a lot of stuff that we, that, that we gotta get better, right? But at the same time, one of the things I love about the church is we try to, to make the main thing the main thing. I say this all the time, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. I'm not stuttering, the main thing <laughs> is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Where, here's the thing, churches, I've seen churches fight over the dumbest crap. But in the light of eternity doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it, it's not reaching people, it's not reaching out. It's like if, if we have sideways energy as a church it keeps us from our original purpose which is saying we are called to be a people to share and show the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world but but honestly what you see is we are a church full of people fighting over the stuff but in the light of eternity doesn't mean a daggone thing and what I love is that we have a church here that we are trying as hard as we possibly can we have a core value at this church that says this: it's not about us mission will trump preference every time What does that that simply mean for us? We want to stay focused on what Jesus is about and what his agenda is for the church instead of what our agenda is for the church. And many times it's fighting over the stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't matter. How many churches have fought over like, we want this worship style. We, We want this color carpet. We want this kind of, we want this kind, we want this kind. Instead of saying, God, what kind of church do you want us to be that reaches people and shares and shows the love of Jesus? So, but, but here's the thing. Do, do we marvel at the fact that God has chosen the church to literally be his expression to the world? Do we yawn at that or do we marvel? And my prayer today is, 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 is that as we dive in, we would marvel at that fact. The kind of relationship that God has with his church, Paul, when he was, when he was trying to describe what kind of relationship is this? The best analogy he could give is marriage. <laughs> he's like, okay, God's like, he's like, church, okay, I'm going to try to describe to you what the relationship is between Jesus and the church. Like, and I mean, and what he actually says is it's kind of mysterious, but then he says the, the only physical expression, the physical example that I can give you of what the relationship between Jesus and the church should be like is a Marriage, and he talks about this in Ephesians chapter five, where he 's talking to this church he planted in the city of Ephesus, and, and like as he 's trying and, and what he 's actually going for here is he 's talking to a brand new church brand new believers, and giving them guidelines for for how Christian households should be, and when he 's giving the guidelines for or how Christian households should be, he throws in there some of the relationship or, how, or or some of how the relationship should be between Jesus and the church. He's kind of like, I can't talk about one without talking about the other. So, th- so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna dive in to Ephesians 5, and we're gonna do about 15, uh, 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 about 15 verses here, and we're going to actually land here, and today you are gonna get practical marriage advice, because I can't not talk about it in this scripture, mixed with how Jesus views his church. So today you're getting a double sermon. Today you're getting a two-for-one deal. Today we are like, what what is that one app Groupon? Today is like your sermon Groupon. You are redeeming your sermon Groupon today. You're gonna get a couple sermons, the practical marriage and relationship advice, while also too saying how does Jesus deal with his church. Ephesians 5, come on, let's go ahead and dive in. We're gonna read this together. Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Is everyone okay? <laughs> I know you pull out the S word, and women like they get them hands, hands up, like I ain't submitting to nothing. Right? For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then he busts out Genesis 2 here. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then he says this. This is a profound mystery. (laughs) He basically's like, I don't really know a lot about it, but I'm telling you what I know. (laughs) He says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot we can dive into here. But here's the thing. First off, I want to talk about practical, practical marriage advice here that Paul gives in relation when talking about the comparison between Jesus and the church. First off this, in verse number 21, we see it's about mutual submission. A good marriage is built on mutual submission. Now, I know if you grew up in church, you you might have probably heard, wives need to submit. Maybe you heard that. And honestly, I've heard many pastors preach verse 22 without going back to verse number 21, which is the one right before it. It says, submit to each other because we both submit to Christ. He says, submit to each other. And then it goes in from from that point into the practical ways it looks like for each, the husband and the wife to submit to each other. But he says, it's about mutual submission. I say this all the time. Marriage is is a submission competition. It's a submission competition. It is built on two people saying, I'm gonna come in and it's not about me. I say, I wanna, how can we make this work? But here's the bottom line right after that. It says in verse number 23, can we, can we put that up, please? It says, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body of which he is the Savior. Here's the thing, right? This word head has been totally misinterpreted. Whenever we, we sometimes see that, we think better than. We think, you know, you know we think more important we think has more value. Let me tell you what that word head actually says in the Greek language. It means responsibility. Yes. Go back, husbands, you are responsible. That's right. got one guy, <laughs> <laughs> I give that an amen. But hus- biblically, husbands, you are responsible the well-being of your family think about it in genesis 3 whenever adam eve sin sin came eve she took the thing adam was sitting there watching her he's like yeah just go ahead and eat it whatever whenever that was going on who did god ask for when the sin came into the world he said adam where are you he didn't ask for Eve the one that did it. He asked for the one that was responsible. And that was his and that was the husband. Men, you are responsible. You are the head. God sees you as being the leader of your family and you are responsible. Head does not mean better than. It means you are ultimately, before God, held as the, resp- you can't delegate responsibility. You can delegate blame if if you want, but you can't delegate responsibility before God. For so long, we've thought the men are supposed to have this special privilege. Men are, you know, and and, and really... Unfortunately, in the church, I think we've almost seen this, this played up. you know, well, I wouldn't say well-intentioned men, but here's the thing. Men that wanted to see this the way that they wanted to have, have taken that, that word head and thought that it meant dom- domineering. And the kind of leadership men were supposed to have in our homes is not domineering. It's meaning we are responsible for the health, well-being, and flourishing of our family. Second, husbands, you are to lead with love, sacrifice, and submission. Ephesians 5.25 says this here. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Basically saying, men, your leader is Jesus. It's not GQ magazine. It's not Total Fitness. It's not a blog online. It's not your best friend giving you bad advice of what their wife did and how their wife acts and all this stuff. Your leader is ultimately Jesus. And Jesus took the responsibility, Jesus went first, saying men, your example is Jesus. That's why I say this, like y'all need to read about Jesus. If y'all like, where do I read in the, in the Bible? The Bible's a big book. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, preferably John, and read. And read about how Jesus dealt with people that, didn't, that did not like him. Read how Jesus dealt with people that turned their backs on him. Read how Jesus treated people that didn't like him. Read and find out about Jesus, because, man, that is your example. He did not wait for the church to get right to lay his life down. Jesus did not have responsibility, but he took the responsibility that was yours. He laid his life down. Here's, here's the thing, right? I need a couple. Paul and Bernita. Come on, come on up. You guys are just a beautiful couple. Come on up here. Coming up for Paul and Bernita. I want to illustrate this for you. Sorry, worship team. Hope you don't, y'all don't get mad at me here, okay? How, how, here's, here's the thing, right? This is what I, I do. Whenever we, do, whenever we do counseling, right? Most relationships start off, y'all are just, oh, <laughs> be a little more loose, man. I'm like, really? see, no, 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 look, look. Most relationships, they start off like this here, face to face. You're dating, looking into each other's eyes, focus, attention, you know, guys you're trying to woo, and so you're sending her flowers and bringing her food. and. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, a, it's like, honestly, most relationships in the dating realm and in the first whatever year, there's a lot of face-to-face. And you're into each other. But then as life, you know, if, 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 you, end up getting, if you end up getting married and, you know, then you've got responsibilities. And then sort of like real life sets in, right? So then you kind of go from, from face-to-face to kind of side-by-side. Where now you're doing things together because you're like, Bill's got to get paid. Kids got to get fed. Responsibilities around the house got to get done. Like stuff ain't going to do themselves. So then you end up becoming, then you know, there is a lot of work in relationships that are side by side. You have to work at it to do it together. You have to, to figure, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? What is your bank account? What are you going to cover? My bank account, what are you going to cover? And then you've got all these different things where you have to mesh two lives together. And honestly, most of the time, it, it goes side by side. And really what I've seen most relationships Unfortunately, if there is not intentionality in getting time after this to be like this, you can spend years, years working side by side and eventually you become roommates instead of being a married couple. To where then all you feel is we just get stuff done. And what I've seen, if relationships stay this way way too long, this is what eventually happens. Now instead of being teammates, instead of working on, on the same team, now you've got your backs turned to each other. Now you've got conflict that you haven't dealt with. Now you've got those issues that you know that are both there, but you know how difficult it would be to get under the surface and get those things dealt, dealt, dealt with but instead you would rather live with this. And let me tell you what happens whenever whenever couples get like this that I've seen. Paul, cross your arms and get like that. Bernita, cross your arms and get like that. Then it's like I'm not moving until you move. I'm not turning until you turn. Nope. I ain't turning cause you, cause you, cause you, cause you, cause you. And you just blame them and you blame shift. And really think about it, it, it this way. What if Jesus was like this? But let me tell you this, Jesus turned towards us, the church, when we still had our back turned on him. So Jesus went first He didn't wait for the church. Get yourself right, church. Then I'll die for you. He said, no, I'm going to go and lay my life down first, not even in response to you doing anything. He said, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to willingly lay my life down for you. And this is the thing. In relationships, marriages, you go first, if you're in, in, if you're in a season of this, you don't wait for the other person to go first because Jesus went first. You go first because Jesus went first. You don't treat them the way they, they treated you, you treat them the way Jesus treated you. And if Jesus went first and said, I'm not gonna wait for you to die on the cross, I'm not gonna wait for you to get better, I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna lay, and I'm gonna lay my life down, then honestly, when, when we're in seasons like this, <laughs> you go first. And this is why I say, men, you are called to lead with love and sacrifice and submission because that's the way Jesus led and leads us. So you turn. And honestly, y'all, God, no matter how many of you here, you've got your back turned towards God. And, and you know, this, this could be you today. I want to let you know when Jesus died on the cross, in your place and for your sin, it forever turned his face towards you. He's God, open arms, and he's saying, I'm here whenever you're, you're ready. My acceptance of you isn't dependent on how good you are or great you are. My acceptance of you is based on what I did, not what, not what you do. All you have to do is turn to me and come into my loving arms. Right? Okay, y'all. All right, go look at a hotel room, okay? I know Paul loves his wife. We all know that's the truth, okay? But here's the here's a, here's the thing. Do you guys see that husbands? We we go first. Ladies, like it somebody go first. If you're back to back and you know it's like that, get some help. Be the first one to to accept responsibility. But here's the thing men were called to lead with love, sacrifice, and, sub- and submission. That's what it says, Ephesians 25 through 28. This is the message version. This is what it says it says, Husbands, go all out in love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole, his words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Husbands, you are called, you are to bring the best out of your wife. Does your wife flourish under your uh, under your leadership? This is a hard question, but the truth is this here. You are called to cherish her steward her, make her feel like she is the most important and special woman on this planet. And let's just be honest, what ends up happening, dudes, let's just be honest, dudes, we, you know, we get her, marry her, and what can happen many times is then we stop wanting, then we stop dating her, we stop wooing her. But the thing is this, do you create an atmosphere where she feels safe? Do you create an atmosphere where she can be vulnerable, do you create an, an atmosphere where she feels safe to, sh- safe to share her opinion? Can she even share with you whenever she doesn't feel safe? Because here's the thing, is your wife suffering under your, under your leadership? Because ultimately, man, you are responsible to bring out the best in your wife. And these are hard, hard questions, y'all, that honestly might evoke you getting some help. Maybe you've been putting off counseling. Maybe you've been putting off dealing with those issues. You say things like, we don't have time. We can't afford it. You know, we've, we, we've gone too far. Y'all, that is not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell of God wanting to see healing and restoration come into y'all's relationship. Wives, where, where are my wives at? Talk to the husbands a little bit. Let's let's talk to the wives a little bit. Ephesians 5:22 it says, "Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord." Wives, submit to your husbands. Now let me talk about this word, submit, because y'all, like I said, you throw up fisticuffs when that word comes up, because that word has been so abused and so misused. Submission is not being silent. Submission is not being quiet. It's not not sharing your opinion. It's not whatever you say, honey. Whatever you say goes. It is simply this: It is a response to the trust you have in your husband. Here's, here's the thing. We submit to Christ. The church submits to Christ because of the sacrificial leadership that we see from Christ. And let me tell you, men, it can be scary for a a woman to practice this verse. It can be scary for her to submit and trust a man enough that she trusts and believes, this guy will give his life, this guy will always, this, this guy wants the best for me. That can take a while for women to trust. Here's the thing. This takes time and it's built over time. So so here's the thing. Men, are you creating an atmosphere and an ecosystem where trust is being built and where your wife knows, she knows you would lay your life down for her. She knows she can trust. If she submits to you, she knows you're going to make choices and decisions that are for the betterment of each of you, not just your own self. Submission is not being quiet. Submission is a response to sacrificial leadership. It's saying, I trust your leadership. And there will be times and there will be times, ladies, where you will not completely understand all, a hundred percent. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean you, you be quiet. Doesn't mean you just follow your husband. It means you you work together. You work together to find a solution to find a way you work side, side by side, but lead to a solution that leads you to be face-to-face. Also, too, it says this here, Ephesians 5.33. um, Wives, respect your husbands. However, and this is what it says, Ephesians 5.33. It says, however, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives, let me tell you how guys think. Guys think in terms of teams, is, I, mean, mo- I mean, I'll mean, I say most guys, like, we think in terms of, are you on my team? Like, are we on the same squad? Do I know you're on my team? And really, whenever I think of respect, I think res- respect is letting your husband know that you're on his team. And what do teammates do? Teammates cheer on their team. Let me tell you this, men, we need some cheering. Like, we, we need to be told, like, some of the time, you're doing a good job. We need to be told some of the time, honey, I respect the fact that you're putting in 12 hours every day, five-hour day. I mean, thank you for providing for us. Like, we gotta know that we got a, cheer, a, a cheerleader that can see and notice what we're trying to do. To do and, and some of y'all would say, well, I ain't got no respect for my husband. None. None. <laughs> and you can kind of say, I don't, do you know what? Here's the thing. If you don't have any respect, find something to, to compliment him for. Because let me tell you, it will not change, change him. Nagging and degrading will not change your husband. Let me tell you that respect is saying, I'm going to notice something good you doing. If the only thing you, that your husband does well is cut the grass, tell him, this is the best grass in the neighborhood. <laughs> Here's the thing, every, every Sunday, man, like, you know, I'm emotionally needy. After I get done preaching, I go back to my wife, and I'm like, I'm just like you know I'm. I'm just like you know. Basically, what I'm saying is, was was that a good sermon? Was that okay? And and I I mean, and and it's just like if if she tells me it was good and she understood it and she got something from it, I love all of y'all. But y'all's opinions is secondary to hers, because if she says, man, that was amazing, even if it sucked. I'm like, babe, I need you to tell me that was the best sermon you've ever heard. I need you to tell me that was the best sermon on on Ephesians 5 you've ever heard in your life, even if it was the only one you've ever heard. Like, I need you to help your brother out and give me some respect and show me that what I'm doing matters and that what I'm doing is making a, a difference. I need to know she's on my team. And so, look, ladies, respect your men and let them know you're on their team. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot here from practical into the spiritual. What we see here, you see the 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 correlation. Jesus is committed to his church because because the church is considered Jesus' bride. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes for the church to kind of, we're the bride. Like like Paul said, it's mysterious. And he said, the best way that, that I can describe it is it's like it is a marriage relationship. And the bottom line is this. Jesus took responsibility for your mess when he didn't have to. And this is the good news, y'all. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is he took, sacri- he took on sacrificial leadership and filled in the gap that, that the bottom line, you could not fill. The good news is that Jesus took responsibility for you and the two Jesus brings out the best out of you like you know you know just like one of the commands was husbands bring the best out of your wives Jesus looks at you and brings and wants to bring the best out of you Jesus led the way with sacrifice love and submission Jesus went first and because Jesus went first what is the response that we should have with Jesus who sacrificed, who, sum, who submitted, and said, that I will go first. The only appropriate response the church should have to what Jesus did is to, we submit. Jesus, what you say will go. Here's the thing, the church's response, individually and corporately, is to respond with submission and following. Like y'all, we are, Christians are response people. Meaning, we don't do anything that God hasn't already done. This is what makes Christianity different. Get this. This is what makes Christianity different, where as opposed to us doing something and trying to earn the God's approval, to try to get the God to actually work, move, whatever, we are response people that we, here's the, here's the thing, we, we love because he loved. We don't love to earn. We love because he loved us. We serve because Jesus served us. We give mercy because we've been shown mercy. We we honor people because Jesus has honored us. We give grace to people who don't deserve it because Jesus has given grace to us when we don't deserve it. We are response people. We give because Jesus gave. Everything we do as Christians, all all of the commands in Scripture are given to us out of response, that we are responding to who God already is and to what God has already done. Why? Because he wants us, we are his special possession. We are the way that people know who God is, is through his bride, is through his church. So that's why you hear these commands, and you know every week you kind of hear what we say, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These aren't just so we can be good people. These aren't just given so we can become spiritual people. These aren't given just so we can become moral people. These are given because of what God already has already done, and God and and who God already is, and then we go and be His representation. But the thing is, this the same thing that kills. Marriages is the same thing that kills this relationship between Jesus and the church. Autonomy. Autonomy. Let me tell you what people in our in our culture want. They want transcendence with autonomy. And let me explain that to you. Transcendence is they want to know there's somebody or something beyond them, but they don't want. To, sub, to submit and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Is the apocalypse coming? What's going on? I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the zombie apocalypse. No. The bottom line is this. Many times Christians want the benefits of serving God without the submission. And let me... And let me break that down into some uh, in, into different terminology for you. They want Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. They, they, Jesus, I'll take you dying on the cross. Jesus, I'll take blessings. Jesus, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take. Oh, you want me to give up what? Like, oh, you want me to do what? Here, here's, the, here's the thing, though. We don't serve God. We are not a part of Christ's church just to get something from him. We are, a pride of, we are a part of Christ's church because we are in a responsive relationship to what God and what Christ has already done. You need to know today that Jesus is committed to you. He is committed to his church. And I hope that doesn't make you yawn. I hope that makes you marvel. that in our fickleness, in our up and downness, in our inconsistency, in our mess, Jesus is committed to you. He's committed to his church. And the only response that I think we should have in response to his commitment with us is unrelenting commitment back to him. Not to earn anything, but it's we submit because he sacrificed and we see there's nothing he won't do for us. Why do we struggle so much with submitting anything in comparison to what God has already done? It boggles my mind how many times personally I'm like, God, you want me to do what? Oh my God. But does anything compare to what Christ has done for us? Aren't you glad that his commitment to us isn't based on our commitment to him? Because <sighs> we're that fickle spouse, that one that goes through seasons, We go through a season of insanity, we go through a season of, you know, of just going away. I mean, it's just like, here's, you know. But I want you to leave today. The one thing that I want you to get out of this, or hopefully you got some practical uh, advice and stuff of that, but I want you to ultimately leave with today. Is the amazing fact that Jesus is committed to you. And He's laid His life down as a payment, as a down payment. Basically saying, look, I want am that's not gonna tell you I'm committed. I'm gonna show you that I'm committed. I'm gonna give my life. And our response as a church cannot be autonomy. Our our, our response as a church has got has got has got to be like, I submit to him. And here's the thing: this can be in different in different ways. Maybe. There are things in your life you know you have been holding back from him and today, you need to submit those and lay those down today. Maybe you have had a bad view of Christ church and you've had a, you've been scared to commit to a, a church because you've seen the absolute messiness of it and all you dwell on is, is the mess, but you have not seen the beauty of Christ and the beauty of who you are as being the bride of Christ. And you need to say, do you know what? I, 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 like, I need to commit to a church and stop dating a church. I, like, I need to go like all in and stop trying to have this transcendence with autonomy thing. I need to actually join in and help be the body of Christ instead of trying to be this walking around I out in the middle of nowhere. That's why we're called the body. We come together and we each have different expressions of the beautiful body that is known as Christ. So possibly today you need to submit, be like, you know what? I need to. I need to stop dating this place. I need to stop dating. Like, I need to dive in and get involved. Possibly today, you need to submit your life to Christ. Maybe you've never made the commitment to follow Christ. And today, hopefully you've seen and realized the price that Christ paid for you because he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchinam.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.